right, let's say that you are out on a playground somewhere and you are eavesdropping on a group of kids that are contemplating doing something stupid, like stealing a street sign outside the police department. Um, And here are some reasons that they give for not doing it. All right. First reason. I'm not going to do that. My mom would kill me. Anybody relate to that? I'm not either. Another one says I would feel really bad. I don't even think I'd like it. Ever done anything that you knew you wouldn't like, but everybody else did it? Okay. No way. I'm going to do it either. We might get caught. I don't know if any of y'all ever said any of those things, but anyway. I don't think it's a good idea because we might get hurt. It's wrong. (laughs) Or, I really don't want to. I think it would make my parents sad. How many of you ever thought about your parents when you're about to do something stupid? Because mom used to ask me, what were you thinking? I was like, well, it wasn't about you. Um, so now, which which of the responses would you want your child to give if you're out there? If you're if you're hearing them and they're in that situation, because I mean, is one response right and one response wrong. One kid is, is, is you know, afraid of getting caught. One kid's afraid of getting hurt. Um, you know, another one's afraid of making their parents sad. Another one, it's an internal motivation where they're saying, you know, I might feel really sad if I do the wrong thing and I might feel really good if I do the right thing. And, uh, you know, another's concerned about his parents. My question is, who's guiding those children when they're out there on the playground? Who's guiding our children in life? Their parents aren't there, are they? I would say, yes, their parents are there, not physically, but internally. Kids internalize the values that we teach them through our relationships. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. God has wired us to internalize the values that our parents um, show before us in our relationship with our parents. And so what happens if a parent is absent? Who does the kid internalize values from? Whoever's around that they can connect to. And that's kind of a scary thing. Nothing will have a greater impact on your child's life, the trajectory of their life, the outcome of their life than the parent's relationship with the child. And um, I can make a bold prediction today. The kids who are going to have the most trouble in life, they're going to come up and stumble the most. They're going to hit the most roadblocks emotionally, um, mentally, socially. The kids that are going to have the greatest amount of trouble are the kids whose parents have dialed themselves out of their lives. Now, let's, let's talk about some realities. There are just a couple of realities that I want to share with you today. And uh, the first one is this. You have it on your listening guide. When it matters most, the quality of your relationship with your child will determine the weight of your influence. Let me say that again. When it matters most, the quality of your relationship with your child will determine the weight of your influence. Now, we've been uh, we've been kind of giving you some relationship experts last week. It was uh, everybody loves Raymond and and his expertise in in raising children this week. I wanted to to, uh, give you a clip from that great um, parenting giant, Adam Sandler, in the movie uh, Big Daddy. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but let me give you a little background if you if you haven't seen it. 
um, in, in the movie, Adam Sandler has graduated from law school, but he got his foot run over by a cab, and so he wins this lawsuit for $200,000. He's invested that money. He's living off of it. He works in a toll booth one day a week, and he's a slob, and most people that are fairly responsible in life think he's an idiot because he doesn't do anything. He's a loser. And then all of a sudden, one day, this kid shows up on his doorstep, and Adam Sandler finds himself, his name is Sonny in the, in the movie, he finds himself having to be a foster parent. And I want to show you this clip. Watch what he thinks about dads in general. Look what he says. Uh, I know when you first got here, you thought you were going to meet your dad, but Carl, I, I got to tell you, I don't think that's going to happen. Why? I don't know why. But buddy, real dads aren't always that great, you know. I got a real dad and the guy's out of his mind. He's been telling me what to do my whole life. He never lets me figure stuff out on my own. A lot of dads are like that. That's why so many people grow up nuts. Look at this guy over here. He's probably a nice little boy just like you. Then his dad messed his mind up. Now look at him. Hey, buddy, who won the Jets game, you know? Who cares? Let it go, pal. He can't control you anymore. What are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're a loser. You're mad at your dad, not at me. I forgive you. <laughs> yeah, I am. I father. See, I don't want it to be like that. I don't, I don't want to control you, Julian. You even like that name, Julian? Yes. You guess? Well, shouldn't you like your own name? I mean, why don't you pick your name? It's going to be your name the rest of your life. What do you want it to be? Frankenstein. Frankenstein? All right, I can deal with that. I'll call you Frankenstein. What are you doing, Frankenstein? You going to play in the puddle? Well, go ahead. Puddle it up. From now on, you do whatever you want to do. That's what it's all about. Stay in front of it. Don't be scared. Here we go. Come right up. Okay, all right. You gotta fix your head up, buddy. Don't do that. Okay. That's what you wanna wear? That's okay with me, then. Good luck walking down the street. That's all I can say. Way to block it. Now stay with it. You're the next Willie Randolph. Remember that. You'll be the only kid your age with a slingshot, I promise. Go have some fun. Shoot a few beer cans or something like that, all right? Like that? What is it? What's the matter? Huh? Let me have that. Go to your he says there, go to your room or do whatever you want. Now, in the, in the movie, he says that his dad was controlling, and so he was going to let um, Frankenstein do whatever he wanted to do. He could dress however he wanted to dress, and you can guess that that leads to problems. And then later, he has to reel him back in, and so there causes a whole bunch of problems in the relationship. Now, I showed you that because I want you to think about something. I want you to think about your relationship with your parents. How many of you... Still ask, and, and this is not a bad thing, by the way, so I want to just preface it with that. How many of you still ask your parents' advice when you have a major decision to make in your life? Let me see your hands. That's like four of you. Okay, that's good, and, and, I, and I'm, um, I'm encouraging you. I'm saying that's a good thing. How, let's just do the opposite. How many of you do not ask your parents' advice when something's coming on? I mean, this is my hand. Okay, some of you haven't figured out that, that was one or the other, but anyway. Okay, now... Let's just ask it this way. If your parents were to call you right now and offer some advice on something that's going on in your life, 
Would you take that advice or would you just totally blow them off? I can tell you whether you would take the advice or not by the relationship that you had with your parents. The quality of the relationship that you had with your parents growing up determines their influence in your life right now. Make sense? All right. So if that's true, then we've got to think about our relationship with our kids. No relationship means no influence in their lives. So let me explain it like this. We've got a box on your listening guide and we're going to put it up here on the screen. And I want you to do just a couple of things here. I want you to fill in what we got here on the left side, the vertical line there. It goes control. The bottom is the age of the child. That bottom line, the, the horizontal line there is uh, birth to adult and put all that stuff on there because it's going to be real important as we continue to talk. Then you'll see that top half, if you draw a, a, a 45 degree line across there, then you've got your box in halves. Top half is size and position. Bottom half is influence. Now, y'all keep writing that and I'm going to talk just a little bit. When a child is born... How much control do you have in their life? Total control. You determine what they're going to wear. Well, we say that, don't we? You have, you have control over where they go. You have control over what they eat, kind of, unless they have, you know, some type of uh, digestive problem, because I've had to do that stuff before. Um, you, you, you don't have control over when they go to sleep. I mean, that's the whole thing is you're trying to get them on your schedule, right? But the basic idea is when a child is born, you have all of this power in their life. As they get older, though, and as they become an adult, size and position doesn't matter near as much as influence. All right. So as they get older, what you want to do is you want to transition from size and position. I'm bigger. I'm badder. You will do what I tell you to do. You want to transition to influence. And let's talk about that just a little bit. And let's talk about why. Now, uh, your job as a parent is to transition your child so that that you have influence. And and the more you try to impose your will on your child as they get older, um, <laughs> the more your child is going to disregard what you have to say, because the warranty has run out on that type of thing. The logical result of this path is that the influence that you want to have in your child will be non-existent when they need you the most. And when do your children need you the most? When they are making the most um, important decisions of their lives, the, li the decisions that will impact the rest of their lives. Now, I want you to do just a little bit of crowd participation today. I want you to tell me what are some of the most important decisions that teenagers are making? Let's start with 11, 12 into the teenage years on up into the adult years. What are the most important decisions that they are making that they may not be ready to make yet? Somebody give me one. Financial. OK, as you're getting older, because Shara's in the college age and she's saying, you know, financial decisions. We got to do what? OK, we'll get to that one. That's a big one. But she was saying financial decisions. So we need to help them transition into those financial decisions. And she wants she was one that raised her hand that she still asked her parents advice. Um, the one up here is is sex. Let's even go back a little bit further, a little bit earlier. What kind of friends they have? Right. They may not make the right choice on friends. But then we've got who to date. How far is too far? You get up into what college they're going to go to. Any others? Can you think of any other decisions that they're going to have about that time? Marriage. Should I get married? Should I get married to this person that I'm dating? Right. Any others? Drugs. Should I use drugs? What did you say, Dave? Religion. OK. What what should I believe about this God stuff? 
So should I get married? Should I have kids? How should I raise my kids? Should I buy? Should I rent? You know, all of these decisions that you want to have influence in your kid's life. But if you don't have a relationship, if you don't dial up your relationship with your child, you will not have influence. And see what we tend to do, we tend to... uh, we tend to rate ourselves on external things. This week, I'm standing in the bathroom um, talking to my mom. You know, she's fixing her hair and, and I was washing my hands and we have two sinks in there. Back when I was a kid, we didn't. We had one sink there. We had one bathtub and then we had another bathroom back in my brother's room. But it was just a half bath. So we had a one and a half bath for six people, four children, two parents. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at my mom. I said, Mom, how in the world did we make it when I was a kid? I said, I'm the baby of four. I said, I didn't know that we didn't have a lot of money. And I didn't know that one full bath was a problem for six people. How did we handle it? She goes, we thought we were doing great because mom is the oldest of eight children. So there were 10 in her family. They lived on a farm. Mom starts telling me all this stuff and I'd forgotten this. She said, Doug, we took one bath a week in a wash tub in the kitchen. We used to heat the water on the uh, on the stove and pour it in there. And all eight children who lived on a farm took a bath every Saturday night. So they'd be ready to go to church on Sunday. And I was like, dude, I do not want to be the eighth person that gets in that water. And mom said, we didn't know any better. Can you imagine how skanky that is? I was talking to my kids about that. That's just nasty. And then she says, we didn't even have running water in the house. We had an outhouse. Well, my girls yesterday, we were at the soccer game and they had to go to the bathroom in the little porta potty. And I said, because Rachel's looking at me, and she's like, what's an outhouse? And I said, well, it's a porta potty without the chemicals to make it smell a little bit better. She goes, ew. <laughs> so my mom and dad did better for us than they had done in their childhood. And that's what we tend to rate ourselves on. Well, we have indoor plumbing and we've got a roof over their heads and they've got better toys than I have. And we've got, you know, three bedroom, two bath, two car garage. And we we do all of those things. We we rate ourselves on how many external things we're giving our kids. But there will come a time in your kid's life when you trade every one of those external things for influence in their lives. So we got to be sure that we rate ourselves on the right thing. If you are not pouring into your child the relationship side, because the real question ought to be, do I have a better relationship or a fuller relationship with my children than my parents had with me? Because if not, I'm robbing them and I'm actually messing up their future unless I pour into them. And the longer you try to use size and influence, the less your kids see you as relevant. Because you're always going to have that over them as long as they're living within under your roof. Well, you are under my roof. And I can hear myself saying this, even as I'm telling you we shouldn't say it. Because you can control a car even when they're in teenage years. Well, I'll take the car away from you. You know, and you've got the money and you can you can use size and position. But the longer you do it, the less relevant you are to your children. Um, because controlling them isn't really the issue. Now. What happens when parents tend to realize, and and you've seen this, what happens when we realize that that we're losing influence in our kids' lives and uh, that size and position isn't working so much anymore, what we do is we tend to resort to uh, guilt and bribery. So have you ever heard this? Well, I can't believe you'd rather go hang out with your friends instead of come see me because I worked all my life to provide all the things that you... When I would come home from college, 
I don't know why I came home. It wasn't to see mom and dad. It was to see my friends. And mom would get so upset with me. And she would pull some of this stuff. I can't believe you'd rather. And I'm like, if you'd shut up, I might stay home a little more. Because that doesn't work, does it? The guilt thing doesn't work. Or they'll try bribery. I have something nice for you. But you'll have to come by to get it. Right? I mean, they don't just leave it on your doorstep or send it to you. Or when you have kids... I bought something your kids will love, but you must come and spend three hours at my house. And at the end of the three hours, when you're about to leave, I'll give something that will light your kids eyes up. Does that work? Does that endear you to them? Some they're going to probably play this back for me when when they're older and they have kids and I try to bribe the grandkids to come see me. Uh, So I know this is going to come back and haunt me, but that's that's right. It doesn't work. And so there's got to be a better way to do this parent thing, to dial up our relationship with our kids so that they want to hang out with us. And the better way is God's way. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter six. Two weeks ago, we mentioned it in passing. And and I want to look at what this says. It says fathers. And and you can add mothers here as well, um, because the instruction is to parents. Fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, God chose you to be your child's parent. If you don't have children yet, you're more than likely 90 percent of all people in the United States get married at some point. And so you're probably going to get married. You're probably going to have children down the road. And so if you don't have them yet, God has a plan for you in the marriage and in the parental area. And uh When God chose you to be a parent, what that means is God chose you to be his hands, his voice um, in dispensing his grace and truth to your children. And the incredible thing is the God of the universe is ready to help us. It's not like he's sitting up there on his throne with all power, you know, to speak the world into existence, with the power to say to Jesus, come back from the dead. And he comes back from the dead, you know, to say, let there be light. I cannot imagine my words having that much power. You know, if you're a parent, you know, your words don't have that much power. You can tell them over and over, do something. They don't necessarily do it. But God's word, he just speaks and things happen. So the God of the universe with all power isn't sitting up there going, Wow, I've never seen that behavior before from a child. Don't know what you're going to do about that one. See you later. God doesn't do that. He is ready to help us, but we disregard his word. Most folks that I come across, even folks that have been Christians for a long time, do not spend any time reading God's word. And so it makes sense that you don't know what God is trying to share with you because you're not in his word. And, and because of that, because of what we've been talking about, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to do a series called Authority Issues. One of the authority issues is, is God's word. And we're going to have a plan where we start reading just the first four books of the New Testament, Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We're going to try to get through those four books as a church by the, by the end of the new year. And we're going to have little, you know, uh, trivia questions each week to see if you did your reading. And, and if you get it right, if you're the first one to get it right, you'll get a Bible bar. And we've got to bring back Janie talking about the Bible bar when we did the Janie show. If you if you remember that, you know, it's it's good stuff. But anyway, we've got these authority issues and we don't pay attention to the Bible. Here's what the Bible says specifically uh, about raising our kids. Exasperate means to abuse your position. It means to abuse your size and position to get your kids to do what you want. Ever done that? Ever had it done to you? 
you will do this. Remember my dad and my brother when he was a teenager squaring off and I thought they were going to go to blows. And I was scared to death. I'm, you know, wide-eyed and just going, oh no, dad's going to deck my brother. Didn't happen, but, but it was a size and position issue. How does it make you feel when someone forces you to do what you're supposed to do? Is that a good thing? Is that something you look forward to? Our kids don't either. You probably got angry, and that's what it means to exasperate your children. You abuse your size and position. You alienate your child. One way we do that is that we're big enough when our kids are small, we're big enough that even when we're wrong, we're right. And the best way to reconnect with your child is to go and admit when you're wrong. And uh, that's a pretty amazing thing to see how how ready your kids are to forgive you and reconcile the relationship when you've done something wrong. Pretty amazing deal. Or when you're right, you express it in a way that it beats your child down. This is my this is the way I was raised, man. You, I told you so. You're not smart. You, you didn't do this. And so I have to fight that all of the time when I'm under stress, keeping on telling my kids that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. They get it. They know when they're wrong. We've all used our words as weapons to get people to do what we want them to do, and it's not very effective. And the older our kids are, the less influence we'll have in their lives because they'll just think we're irrelevant. And that's the last thing we want as parents. So a better way to get through to kids, and this is, I'm telling you this not because I'm good at it, but because I've seen things. I was a youth minister for 19 years, and I've seen teenagers, I've seen teenagers come into my office, and, and the ones who are the biggest successes in life. Their parents figured out some of these things I'm going to share with you. A better way to get through our kids is to validate them as people. Affirmation comes less from lectures and more from empathy. Okay, let me give you an example. Which statement would you rather have, would you rather hear when you're going through a crisis in life? First statement. Gosh, this is from somebody who's supposed to be very important in life. I can see that you are really sad about that. It must be really important to you. Or, how can you be so upset about something so stupid? Which one makes you feel better about your relationship, A or B? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. But we forget that when our kids are growing up, everything is a big issue to them. I read about one youth minister, and he said that he had, gone, he had, had two girls come in his office one day, and he said, by their emotional reaction, you could not tell the difference in what was going on in their lives. The first girl who comes in distraught, just crying like crazy. Her grandmother had passed away. The second girl, distraught, crying like crazy, had a zit on her face. But to a teenager, everything is a big deal right now. And we've got to help them. We've got to connect with them. Kids want to to trust their parents. Even teenagers want to trust their parents. They want to be able to come to you to look to you for guidance when they don't know what to do. But if they feel like they're being controlled, they will not come to you. All right. That's the bottom line. We've all seen horrible choices that teenagers have made. We may have made some of those choices simply because we were so caught up in the control issue with a parent that we didn't look at the consequences of our action. We were just going to show our parents that we were in control and they weren't. By golly, we showed them, didn't we? Now, I'm not saying that you should be your child's best friend. Your kid doesn't need a buddy. They need a parent. And there are going to be times when you have to draw the boundaries 
And it's going to be unpleasant. I said a couple of weeks ago when we started this series that your child is not your ally whenever you're establishing boundaries because they've got much to lose if you follow through with boundaries. But what boundaries do is it sets them up for the reality of life. Consequences happen when you mess around with the rules. Janie and I were talking about this and she said that her mom was excellent at this. Her mom meant what she said. There was never yelling and screaming. It's just when mom said it, it happened. One time she comes home with her uh, with a report card, accidentally leaves it in her car. Mom says, where's your report card? And she said, oh, I left it in the car. Mom says, uh, why don't you go get it? And Zanny said, I'll just get it later. So mom cuts to the chase and mom says, I know you got a C in chemistry. Janie froze. Her teacher called, ratted her out. And mom was very calm. There wasn't ranting and raving. There wasn't throwing things, yelling. She simply said, Come home with another C and you'll lose your car. Do you understand? Janie said, yes, ma'am. The reason she understood is throughout her life, you break the rules, you suffer consequences. And so you come home late, you're grounded. There was no discussion. It was just very matter of fact. So Janie knew where the rules were. She never made another C because she knew she would lose that freedom that she had gained in her car. Now, when it says do not exasperate, that means that we're going to do the clear boundaries. We're not we're not going to um, give undue consequences for actions. We're not going to go overboard there. But kids know when the boundary has been crossed. Now, I want you to think about some unwritten rules that you learned from your parents just through relationship. Let me give you some examples and you could probably come up with some more. Adults were sitting around in this conference and they were asked to to write down some rules that they learned from their parents. Not rules that you'd put up, you know, like Ten Commandments, but rules they memorized nonetheless because they were in relationship with their parents. Here's one. Thou shalt not speak the truth about certain issues. It will make your father angry. <laughs> Thou shalt not display sadness. It angers your mother. Thou shalt not make a mistake ever. You should already know to, how to do it before you are told. Thou shalt be able to guess the mood of your father and not disturb him. Thou shalt not want to be independent. It is an abomination to your parents. One that was in my house growing up. Thou shalt never mention the word sex. It is dirty. It will kill you. <laughs> you must find out everything you know about sex from someone other than somebody in this house. I don't want that for my kids. So we've tried to be real open about that and talking about it and reading through books and things like that. <laughs> now, nobody in their right mind would put these Ten Commandments up on the, the kitchen wall. But we are teaching our kids what we value by our actions, regardless of what we say. And so we've got to figure that out. Don't exasperate your children. Don't abuse your size and position just to get what you want, just to anger them. They may get angry when you do boundaries. That's okay. They've got to learn, but don't exasperate them. And then the next part says, but bring them up. Bring them up is kind of a gardening term where a gardener, a good gardener, not me, but a good gardener will nurture that plant. They will care for it. They will nourish it. They will make sure that it gets enough sun, that it gets enough um, water, enough fertilizer, whatever else you do with a plant. It's the same idea. Bring them up means we protect our children and we put them in an environment where they flourish, not where we set them up for failure. 
If you have those unwritten rules like we just talked about, you are setting your kids up for failure. And of course, they're going to fail if we set them up to fail. So don't exasperate your children. The best way to train your children is through relationships. And uh, so we've got to ask ourselves, what can I do to dial up this relationship to enhance my relationship with my child? Because who else controls how much time I spend with my kids? I mean, I, I understand the whole job issue and all of that stuff. But really, is anybody holding the gun to your head saying you must do this much work? Right? Okay, let's look at the second reality. Your relationship with your children will impact the quality of their future relationships. Your relationship with your children will impact the quality of their future relationships. That includes their relationship with you. All right, I want you to watch this next clip and see what Adam Sandler's dad thinks about him. Your Honor, my son doesn't have health insurance. He doesn't know how to boil an egg. He filed for Social Security at the age of 30. He is a drain on the economy, on the country, and most of all, on me! Your Honor, to give this young man custody over another life is not only wrong, it's insane. I love you. What? You don't have to be scared. It's all right. What are you talking about? I'm not scared. If I get custody of Julian, I'll be his father forever. And that scares you because you think there's a good chance I might fail. Sonny, it's more than a chance. It's a certainty. You're wrong, Dad. You can be scared that I might get pickpocketed in a bad neighborhood or I might break my leg skiing, but don't be scared about me being a dad because I will not fail at that. I can't. I love this kid too much. I love him as much as you love me, Dad. And I'm going to give him advice and I'm going to guide him and I'm going to be there for him whenever he needs me. I'll fly to New York to be at his court case, even if I disagree with why he's there in the first place. Sonny. Work in a toll booth. Don't be scared about me making money. I am in love with a beautiful girl who makes plenty of it. She'll be my sugar mama. Oh, I gotta get me one of those. I know this is the right thing to do, Dad, because I would die for this kid just so he wouldn't have to feel one ounce of sadness. That's why you're here right now to protect me, to be scared for me, to be a good father. And that's exactly what I'm gonna be. Yeah, I just wanted to say I love you. Hi, Mom. Could you put down the phone for a second? That's what I'm going to, Papa. Can I borrow that when you're done? Your Honor, my son deserves this kid. Can a lifetime of regret and everything be made up in 30 seconds? Everybody's calling. I thought that was just too funny. Mom, let me talk to Dad. When you make a deposit of time in your kid's life, it's like investing in all their future relationships. The most emotionally healthy people I know 
are ones that connected with their parents or at least with a significant adult in their lives. And uh, they had a they had a consistent deposit of time over a long period of time when they were growing up. So giving of your time to your kids is investing in their emotional health and emotionally healthy people generally have emotionally healthy relationships. Vice versa is also true. Unhealthy emotionally uh, people who are unhealthy emotionally generally do not have emotionally healthy relationships. So when I invest in my kids, I'm actually investing in all of my future relationships as well, because when you get married, you marry the whole family and there's all kinds of stuff there. That's a sermon for another day. Now, what I want is I want my kids to be so emotionally healthy that when an unhealthy uh, emotional person comes along, they just look at that and they go, I'm not even going to waste my time with that because I'm impacting my future in-laws by the time that I spend with my kids. Some of your parents in here and you're thinking, oh, I wish I'd known this. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll go on. Our, um, our investment of time in our kids' lives greatly impacts their moral choices. And their moral choices are going to impact their emotional health. And so it's this whole cycle. The more I pour into my kids, the more I'm impacting their future, the more it impacts my future. And if I abdicate my responsibility to my kids, I set them up for relational difficulty in the future, which means I set myself up for relational difficulty in the future because I intend to be involved in my kids' lives as long as I have breath and as long as they have breath. So I better spend some time figuring out how to make relationships with them better. All right. Two non-negotiables and we're done. Two non-negotiables when it comes to our kids. Number one, our kids want to feel accepted. Now, later I got to thinking, you know, probably a better term here. Go ahead and write this other term is connected. I didn't give this one to Alex ahead of time. Connected. When in doubt, connect with your child. Connecting with your child never hurts usually helps, and sometimes it is the very key to resolving whatever the problem is. But when an unsolvable problem seems to come along, the best thing you can do is take steps to move toward your child to connect with them relationally before you ever deal with the problem. That's not what we do as humans, is it? We want to deal with the problem and forget the relationship. But if we'll move toward them um, to connect with them, especially in the teenage years, then then that will help them get over whatever this unsolvable problem is. Because when you think about it, that's exactly what God did for us. God looks down on us and he sees people who cannot. We are, it is impossible for us to get to God on our own. So God looks at Jesus and he says, I need you to go and make a way for them to get back to me. He didn't ask you to clean up your act. He didn't ask you to solve your problem before the relationship was reconciled. God went all about the reconciliation, all about the connection with us before he ever began to deal with the problems. And so that's the model of the perfect father. Did a series years ago for teenagers called a dad worth trusting. And we're saying regardless of what your parent is like, here's here's God. And he's a dad worth trusting. And he loves you so much, he'll connect with you before he ever tries to tell you what you ought to do. That's a pretty good model for us as parents to do as well. That brings me to uh, the second non-negotiable. Our kids must have our time. Who else controls this dial in your life? You hold the key to how close or distant you become to your child. And in a child's world, 
Time equals love. Um, they're looking at our actions, and if we don't give them our time, then they conclude that we don't really love them. And they'll conclude, they'll, they'll very quickly determine what you think is most important by where you spend your time. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. No, 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 that's not the purpose of today. Purpose of today is you'll examine your life and you'll say, I'm going to do whatever I can to dial this dial higher so that what I have at the end of my child's life is influence. Because all the toys don't matter. What kind of car they drive doesn't matter. As we're driving all over the panhandle of Texas, filming different things, talking about different things, man, the, the memories just flooded back. I had two of the biggest pieces of junk to drive that you would ever see. And I didn't care because it was transportation. And I'm not kidding. My Toyota Corona, and I said that correctly, Corona, it was before the Corolla, before they even made them. When I got it, it had blown up on the side of the road. I know beer now, but it was a Toyota Corona back then. My dad says, come on, Doug. And I was like, where are we going? He said, we're going to get your car. And I'm like, sweet. And I said, where is it? And he said, it's burned out on the side of the road. And I said, okay. So we drive out there and we hook it up with a chain and dad tows it back in. Dad gets it running. And I am not lying to you. Sucker would go 40 miles an hour, top speed, down the biggest hill you can find in the panhandle with a tailwind. And it was so bad, my older brother, one time we'd gone out to the river and we were coming back. I was telling Alex this story. We were coming back up this hill, back into Borger. And I mean, Borger doesn't have hills, it has canyons. You know, it's holes in the ground. So you drive down in the canyon. We're coming back up and, and my brother, so I was 16, he would have been 28 at the time. And we're driving up and, and he goes... Dude, do I like need to get out and push so we can make it up the top of this hill? I said, man, don't don't be jacking with my transportation because this is freedom for for me. I never raced or anything because who am I going to beat? You know, Um, so it's probably one of the smartest things that my parents ever did was gave me something that that had zero horsepower. It was almost Fred Flintstone. In fact, you could see through the floorboard. I'm not kidding. Somebody had put a different transmission in as a standard, so they had to cut a hole to make it fit, and the stick shift would come over and hit your knee when it was in first gear. And if you weren't careful, the stick shift would come off, and, I mean, you're looking down at the ground. So uh, I almost had the Fred Flintstone thing, but that doesn't matter. What car I drove didn't, didn't impact me. What impacted me more was my relationship with my parents. And I've been trying to spend a lot of time making up for some of the stuff that, that we didn't have when I was a teenager. Some of you, some of you are going to think this. You're going to think it's too late. I've already blown it. And the reality of the situation is you may have. Because it's their choice when they're an adult. But if you want to reconnect with your child, here's, here's the one thing I, that I've seen work through the years. Serve them. Serve them with the idea that you expect nothing in return. There's no strings attached. I mean, we talk about this in Celebrate Recovery, that when we make amends, when we go to somebody and we ask for forgiveness, we have to ask for forgiveness expecting nothing in return. If you'll serve somebody that you've lost a relationship with, with just a pure heart that you are serving God, and you'll do that consistently over time and never expect anything in return, I've seen that melt the hardest heart. My wife has the gift, the spiritual gift of service. And I have seen people respond to her 
because she served them and loved them into the kingdom of God when the best sermon would not have touched them. Service melts hard hearts. And so if there's a relationship you need to reconnect with, then I want you to serve them. Now, here's, here's really a selfish motivation for me spending time with my kids. It would melt my heart if when they're older, they have families of their own. If they can't wait until the holidays. Because they can't wait to come hang out with me and Janie. Right? The only way that's going to happen is if I connect with them now. So I want you just to bow your heads as we finish up here.